HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. Today's program was brought to you by Hearst Ranch. www.hearstranch.com Hello and welcome to the Heritage Radio Network Farm Report. Today we've got a very special guest on the program, Neil Peterson, who's going to talk to us about the largest edible fruit native to the United States, only available in a small window of time, only harvested in the month of September. What better time to introduce the pawpaw to our listeners than mid-August, so they can get ready to enjoy this fruit right before its harvest season? And what better person to introduce us to the pawpaw than one of the leading gurus in the field, so to speak, Neil. Neil, why don't you say hi to our audience? Yes, uh, hello from the Shenandoah Valley, West Virginia and Virginia. And hello here from the Heritage Radio Network in Bushwick, Brooklyn, broadcasting live out of two green shipping containers. We're happy to have you with us today, Neil. And um, Happy to be here. Why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about the pawpaw and uh, how you got involved with this fruit? Uh, well, it's now been um, over 30 years, and the, the time flies, doesn't it? Especially when you're having fun. Uh, and this has for me... <laughs> been more of uh, a hobby and a passion. Labor uh, of I, Labor of love. Oh, yeah. A lot of labor, but a lot of love. And uh, <laughs> I did find myself, as the years went by, uh, going commercial for a period of time uh, as a way to bring the, uh, the best varieties that I'd bred to the public. But now I'm back to being just uh, a, an amateur scientist and doing uh, new rounds of breeding, which is where I'm happiest, just being out there among the trees when they're in flower with my paintbrush, my notebook, and my little tags. Uh, I got into this many years ago. Like I say, it was, it was 19, 1975, I think. Maybe it was, maybe it was 76, but about then, um, I was a graduate student at the West Virginia University, and... Uh, it was my first year of master's study in genetics, but what was what I was doing that brought me into uh, that acquaintanceship with pawpaw to eat my first one? I was taking students down to the uh, floodplain of the Monongahela River as their lab instructor hmm. in in ecology. That sounds like it, a great class. It was fun. It was fun, and Good we were down Monongahela. there. Yeah, the Monongahela. Well, we were there. It was September 
Um, that was, of course, pawpaw season. I knew what a pawpaw tree was. I've always been a lover of the woods and uh, spent a lot of my teenage years learning the ferns, the fruits, the birds, the flowers. And so I tasted my first pawpaw that season. It was a revelation. And this is, you know, what you were driving at. I mean, all it really was to get me hooked was my first bite. And it was probably a good wild tree. I mean, there it was that time of year when the sun is streaming through the green leaves, but yellow leaves are falling and uh, crinkling underfoot. And there was this smell in the air. You have it's quite very, a way with words, Neil. This very, <clears throat> you'll have to edit that out. <laughs> um, this, this very um, uh, alluring, it was definitely an alluring, fruity smell in the air. It's like, what is that? Well, there were all these small pawpaw trees. Their trunks lean to the left. They lean to the right. They're big, droopy leaves. You know, give it a, quite a tropical air. That's really one of the reasons I just love that tree. And, and here, lying on the ground, among those leaves were these green fruits, freshly fallen from the tree. I said, wow, okay, I know they're edible, because I've been reading Yule Gibbons. And so I just broke one open. They're a soft fruit. You don't need a knife to get into them. You just kind of grab them bet between both hands and with your fingernails, just tear them open. And this, this very moist, um, custardy yellow flesh is mm -hmm. there, you know. And you just, I just squeezed it into my mouth, and that's what. You, and that's how you do it if you're in the woods. You see, you just eat them right there on the spot, and it's like it's so sweet. It is so. The flavor. I didn't bother at the time to just try to describe the flavor. It was just like. Mm -hmm just one of those moments when you're just taken by surprise what nature's provided you and but it's it's kind of this tropical banana-y mango-y uh something that you can't put a finger on flavor a custard the, of sorts I'm... yeah i mean and the texture can just be really the succulent melting you know the, the flavor just spreads across your whole mouth once you've got it in there now then, it's, if if I'm sorry, but if these were wild trees, how did you know these fruits were safe to eat? I'd been reading Yule Gibbons, and uh, stalking the wild asparagus, and, um, and, you know, and he describes it as being one of the edible wild foods. Mm -hmm. So I just, I just knew already that, you know, that, yeah, it was safe to eat. And, some, and, you know, and it's hard to believe when you taste it, said, how could this thing not be edible? You know, is it going to hmm. spring up and poison you when it tastes so good? And... Uh, so, so I was hooked enough that I said, wow, why isn't this part of our agriculture? Why is this thing out there in the woods? You can't why go in the grocery store obscure? and buy it. Yeah, it's exactly what we were wondering and hoping to get to today for 100%. Yeah. Why, if and, it's indigenous to 26 states, has it had such a tough time making its way into the public, into the public consciousness and public uh, awareness? Yeah, well, very good reasons for that. Um, I mean, it... Uh, it has, it's soft. You know, when we say, well, it's got this thin skin, and when it's perfectly ripe, it's almost like a custard pudding is it inside the skin. So, no, it's not. Uh uh. Hmm. No, it's a very smooth, fine texture. Uh, not, not stringy. Uh, you know, I mean, each tree is different in the wild, mm -hmm. and they're not all going to be equally good, and some are going to be just downright unpleasant mm -hmm. because sometimes there's bitterness. Sometimes there's a little bit of grittiness. Um, 
you know. It's like just with anything. Like, like with anything that's wild, you know. Not every tree is genetically different. They're not all identical. But I had a good one. And, uh, but the reason they're not in the store, and, you know, of course, in time this is all going to change if, if things go well with uh, this uh, dream and pursuit of mine, but uh, it's, it's a perishable fruit, and it's soft. Okay, so, you know, that's not well suited to our sort of commercial American, you know, ship across the country method of agriculture. I see. Uh, but, it, but it's not a problem for people who are doing local direct marketing. So and, why don't you explain to us a little bit why, what are the growing conditions that the pawpaw requires that only allow it to be harvested one month a year? That's just its biology. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think what we could compare it to. Um, I mean, for instance... Um, Maybe like a, a nut of sorts. I mean, yeah, a nut uh, or other wild species. Uh, wild uh, species of plants they're they flower at a certain time of year you know their seeds ripen and the fruits ripen and they're ready at a certain time of year and uh, what we're used to in commercial agriculture uh, a long you know season that's only been achieved through one through breeding that's taken years if not centuries apples thousands of years of breeding with apples and the other part of it is of course that we ship our produce around the country so seasons have you know things come into season first in the deep south and it just moves up the country you know to the northern latitudes and every, and so in the first part of the season you're getting your strawberries shipped from florida and georgia i mean if you're here in the east you know right. then they're starting to be shipped out of the carolinas you know then if you're like me and you live in uh eastern west virginia you know then the local produce local strawberries begin to come on and then later you know maybe you're getting them from huh, california yeah, or even chile right usually when you're getting the ones from your backyard they're that much better <laughs> oh yeah they're much better but think of the strawberries in your backyard you know if they're not the ever bearers you may have at most what three maybe yeah. at <laughs> most four weeks and then they're over and that's what it is with too. I mean, is there any way to mimic this this climate with like a greenhouse situation and grow them not in the wild? Mm, no, they're not suited to that. Um, I mean, it would be the rare individual. They'd have to be, you know, quite the fanatic to go to the lanes to grow them inside <laughs> a greenhouse. Um, I know that uh, in in Maine, uh, Elliot, um, help me with Elliot. Elliot last. Coleman. Elliot Coleman, they they were talking to me a couple of years ago saying they have these movable, um, almost they're like greenhouses. They're on they're they're on sliding rails, these these high walk-in tunnels, cold frame tunnels. They were saying like you know maybe we could grow pawpaws up there on the coast of Maine. They have such a deep root system. It's by you can't grow it to fruiting size in a pot. But, you know, they're thinking, gosh, if we have it in the ground and we do enclose it, you know, with one of these, uh, maybe we'll get enough extra heat in there to ripen the fruit because Maine is way beyond the, nor the natural climate of a pawpaw. Right. It's the issue that they wouldn't have enough summer heat. And uh, I, said, I said, I think they'll come through your winters fine, but you have to give them enough heat to ripen the fruit. And so they were thinking of this and probably haven't done anything 
but they would have to do something like that and then remove it for winter so it can have a natural winter. Um, well, the, I know that the pawpaw is on the Slow Food U.S. Arc of Taste, meaning that it's one of these um, foods that are in danger of becoming extinct. You've been with uh, the pawpaws for, you said, about 30 years. Have you seen any rise in production or distribution of this fruit? Oh, yeah, there's, there's been, you know, a wonderful increase in interest in the pawpaw, and it's coming from a number of different angles. The <clears throat> Slow Food and the Arc of Taste is one of the things that's brought attention to the, the possibilities of the pawpaw. Um, there have been garden writers out there, some who are just really interested in the ornamental gardening, but saying what a beautiful native tree the pawpaw is with the large tropical leaves and its beautiful yellow fall color. You know, that it makes a wonderful statement in the garden landscape. Sure. Uh, particularly if it's not a single tree, but a, a little cluster of these trees. And... Uh, and then the better varieties that are, have been coming along uh, have stimulated, from the nurseries and people like myself, have stimulated interest. And finally, there's a wonderful research program that's been going on since 1992 at Kentucky State University. On the pawpaw. And on the pawpaw. So what you're saying, I'm sorry, so that's been stimulating, so we're getting more science uh, that's, that's <clears throat> illuminating for us the cultural requirements of the fruit, uh, pruning issues, fertilization uh, of the soil, and so on. Uh, also hoping, you know, to work on methods to help, ex- uh, to help us in its cold storage mm-hmm. um, and, and hopefully even processing. Now, that's an interesting angle to talk about. Yeah. Because if we could, it, it, it's makes, it has so much flavor uh, that if we had some way to to process it to a puree to remove the skin. Skin is harder to remove uh, economically than is the seeds. Mm-hmm. You know, Definitely. then we would we could have a puree that was a frozen puree mm-hmm. that then could be added. You know, once you've got it frozen, could be the next the perishability is not is not much of an issue. <laughs> you could have a uh, uh, pawpaw frozen yogurt, pawpaw yeah, ice cream. It's 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 great with. Dairy products. Yeah. The possibilities for marketing it are limitless, is what you're saying. Um, well, the scientist in me does would kind of stay away from that word limitless. The poet mm-hmm. probably thinks limitless is grand. Um, yeah. Um, limitless yeah. is bigger than grand. <laughs> One thing you didn't mention that I, I'm wondering about before we go into how we're going to expand what about pest control? When you say you have a cluster of trees and it gives off a beautiful aroma, what are you doing to prevent, you know, these uh, fruits from being eaten by predators or, you know, just being... We are very lucky with this fruit, with the pawpaw fruit, in that it has so few pests and really almost none of economic value. Um, The... um, It's a plant that is chock full. Actually, all the wild plants, you know, basically have their own defenses against predation, you know, where they wouldn't be able to survive the fittest. They wouldn't be able to survive in the wild world if they didn't have, you know, their defenses. And the pawpaw has plenty of defenses against feeding. Uh, The deer, thank God. I mean, you know how deer love apple trees and peach trees? And cherry trees. I did know. not know that, actually. Oh, deer, deer. I mean, like in the wintertime, the deer will just scarf up the buds and the bark. You know, it's food for them. But there are bitter, the bitter compounds in the leaves and bark of pawpaw 
are intense, and they leave them alone. And the fruit, uh, I've seen deer eat the fruit, but they don't bother it while it's still on the tree. They wait for it to be fully ripe and fall. That's, and the same that works and the, perfect. Yeah, and the same goes for raccoons and possums. I mean, I think most of the wild animals here in the U.S. You know, they love the fruit, but they wait for it to fall. So if you can be a, a, a gardener or an orchardist, and you know, you've and you got can, patient predators, and you can pick, you pick your fruit from the tree, and you do need to hand pick fruit if you're going to take it to market. Mm-hmm. You know, you're beating the predators. Now the birds pay it no attention, whatever. The birds will not deal with it for whatever reason. And there are damn few insects. Does, does that word get on the show? Um, <laughs> there are very few insects. Darn the, few insects. Darn few yeah, insects. Yeah, yeah, dar- darn, Jeez. yeah. Uh, Watch your uh, language, big, please. Seldom use a big, big D. Uh, <laughs> Beep. <laughs> so, uh, bleep. I like that. Uh, yeah, the, the insects, there are we see so few insects on the fruit. Um, now, the scientists like Dr. Pomper Kentucky State Uni- at uh, Kentucky State University, you know, mm-hmm. he and I realize that one, if, you, if we get monocultures of pawpaws going, you know, if people start growing these things in an orchard setting by the thousands, you s- things can change. You know, that's a setting where you're really... Um, <clears throat> um, promoting if there's any diseases it's a setting that will promote the spread of diseases and pests but right now you know the largest orchard in the to my knowledge in the world is the orchard that jim davis has in maryland and who provides your fruit to heritage foods usa that's deep run pawpaw orchard correct that's right that's deep run pawpaw orchard and is he just one of like the is he one of many farmers that you've helped to um you know start this pawpaw project or um there there are not very many farmers doing this he's the biggest he's got about a thousand trees on three acres on three acres yeah Mm -hmm. so that makes him the biggest in the world to my knowledge and are these, since this is an indigenous to United States fruit, are these uh, pawpaws being um, grown anywhere else in uh, outside of the out, continental U.S.? Yeah. Yes, they are. Um, they, the interest is picking up. I've been getting requests from Germany, uh, Switzerland, your other places in Europe for trees. Nothing gets by the Swiss. Oh, okay, good. I'm glad to hear that because I'm going to be... Uh, Hope to be talking more to the Swiss about uh, the possibilities. Um, the um, as a just a botanical plant of interest, mm-hmm. um, there have been botanical gardens in Europe have had pawpaw for probably a couple centuries, almost yeah, probably since the late 1700s. Uh, I think they were introduced to Japan uh, at, shortly after Admiral Perry. Uh, visited and uh, opened up trade channels with Japan, and then down in Australia and New Zealand. Um, So they they are being grown, you know, as kind of more of a curiosity Mm -hmm. in various places. Uh, China is starting to dabble with them. Uh, The, you know, those uh, enterprising Chinese always looking to try something uh, that they could probably uh, export back to us. They're (laughs) looking at it. It's not going to back across the pacific to us very well but i'll tell you that yeah well that's part of that's the next step i guess then um now that we've uh, given people a little information about this fruit as to how to really get it out there in the market and keep it as you said you know travel well 
keep it to travel well and keep Absolutely. cool and keep Absolutely. shelf life available. Uh, yeah. Deep Run Orchards goes to a lot of effort. They've they've really paid attention to shipping methods and packaging. Uh, and packaging, that's right. I mean, the, the I know soft, they're very bruised. Like they, they could be bruised very easily. Bruised Is that true? Easily, yes, indeed. So you know, and uh, so uh, he he packs them. I think very carefully insists on really next day shipment, as I understand it, so that you know they arrive in good condition. And here, here in the Washington D.C. area, I'm only about 90 miles from D.C. Uh, you know they can uh, also be found at some of the farmers markets and coming from Jim mostly, but there are some other growers, small growers in the area, and so a farmers market's a great place to to market pawpaw. Because you Definitely. have to introduce it to people. People do not know what it is. Here it is. It's been growing for millennia before people came to North America because it's a native tree. So, but and our our forefathers and foremothers, those that were pioneers and lived in say in farm settings in the Midwest or Appalachia, they knew what it was. But now we've become city folk for the most part in America. We don't know what it is. But it's this native thing. So you come to a farmer's market, and you can get a slice. You can, you know, you can get a sample of what it tastes like. And that's what sells it. I Well, and you can talk to the farmer and actually learn what this is. Because by sight, I mean, people are not familiar with this fruit. They do not know. It's not an apple. It's not a banana. They will be soon, though, if Neil has anything to say about it. So I, I, I... I wonder now, would you consider yourself more of a consultant? I mean, were you once a farmer and now you're a consultant? Um, what is your role in the pawpaw right. industry? I, I, I think uh, that's a good description. A consultant, you know, I a mentioned I'm still though, doing right? breeding. Uh, because is that what you use the paintbrushes for, to pollinate the... Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. That's right. Sweet. Um, so uh, I'm a consultant. I have, I met, I'm still looking at... Uh, the breeding possibilities, because like any crop, you know, breeding never stops with a crop. It's, it's just part of what we do. Uh, it's part of agriculture. Um, but think of the blueberry. The blueberry was only a wild harvested crop up until the 1920s. And then you had Elizabeth White in New Jersey and Henry Colville of the USDA, and they became partnered as a team to improve the blueberry and make it a commercial, um, commercial agricultural crop. And over a period of about 10 to 15 years, they essentially achieved that. And blueberries began to be planted on farms, you know. It was, became a domesticated, cultivated crop. And, we can, and, you know, of course, anybody growing up today in the U.S. probably doesn't even know that. And you don't need to. You just go to the store and there are your pints of blueberries. So, how many you know, how many varieties are there of the pawpaw? Oh gosh, um, too many. Really? <laughs> and what are the different taste profiles? Because there are ones out there that do not have any good quality. So, they are no better than a mediocre, you know, run-of-the-mill wild pawpaw. But somebody named them, and some nursery thought, ah, oh, there's a named pawpaw, so we'll propagate it. Uh, but you know, a different in a different answer, you know, more straightforward answer to your question is that there are 40-some named varieties. Now, of the 40, um, probably there are n- n- fewer than 20 that, that are, are like that desirable. Are yeah, that That's are truly weird. desirable. That's strange, because of all the varieties of apples, I mean, 
90, what, 95 to 100% of them are desirable and edible. What what makes certain papas so delicious and others not so appealing? Mm, well, there's a complex biology, of, of, nature. Of characteristics or traits. I mean, uh, a lot of the wild pawpaw, one of the things that I right away when I was eating it in the woods, you know, but said, hey, if this is going to be improved, we've got to have fewer seeds. You know, it's, it's one thing to be in the woods and find something you can not only eat, but it's truly delicious. But if it were side-by-side other fruits in the grocery store, right away people would say, way too many seeds, you know. So that's one of the things about my six varieties that are, are clearly, I think, superior is that when I was breeding and I had at one time about 2,000 seedling trees I was evaluating, you know, it's like it's got to have few seeds. So where a typical pawpaw <clears throat> might have over, you know, somewhere between a dozen and 18 seeds in it, and, and the fruit weight of the seed, the seed might account for, you know, 15 to 25 percent of the fruit. Well, my best ones have, you know, like maybe six or eight seeds in them and only account for three or four percent of the fruit weight. You know, it's like way. That's what we need is fruit like that, and the size. You know, um, while size is not the most important criteria, you know, people nonetheless obviously the first thing they notice besides color is size. And my best fruit, you know, weighs more than a pound, and the wild fruits in the wild are typically maybe four or five ounces. Um, and then flavor, but flavor's got to be top notch, you know. And in the wild. Uh, flavor can be good. In fact, sometimes it's exceptional, but oftentimes there may be a bitter aftertaste. Mm-hmm. So I was very, very particular that a good fruit, a good variety, should have a really fine, clear aftertaste. Um, now, like for example, you you um, help set up uh, Jim Davis. Do you go to the farm and kind of help? him out and check on his trees and see what's going on if everything is kind of uh, growing the way it's supposed to be and looking yeah. the fruits yeah. are looking the right way yeah fortunately jim only lives about an hour and a half from me so yeah i, I do that several times a year and, and, and do that with other farmers that you've helped set up as well well you know not they're not all so close to me right but uh, but i do by email and telephone call yes mm-hmm. stay in touch with them Nice, because uh, I guess the next big thing really is figuring out a way to make this more available. Absolutely, and, and more. And we're looking, and 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 Dr. Pomper and I are actively, you know, looking for farmers who would like to add, add a sideline, okay. a pawpaw to their operation, particularly farmers uh, that do the do the farmers markets. Because that way they can educate their consumers. They can educate the consumer. Now, yeah. do you have like an email address or a website that you'd like to give us so that people that may be interested in raising the pawpaw can contact you directly? Uh, yes. Uh, one website is the, uh, con- the Kentucky State University website. Let me, uh, I'm walking over to the computer so I can read it, uh, the URL. I bet you it's ksu.edu. Uh, actually, it's not that. Uh, oh. It's not. Ah, well, then, Lorenzo lost the bet. Too bad yeah. there was nothing at stake. We could have um, traded some pawpaws for that. <laughs> okay. So, it, look, look, look. go on. Well, well, just to keep talking, I mean, one is my own website, but it is being revamped because it will be 
henceforth it'll be just informational and not commercial selling my trees i've outsourced i could not keep up with production and as hmm. a and as a part-time nurseryman i had a hard time coordinating the logistics of of tree production mm-hmm. so so I, but you make I've your entire living on pur- papas we'll say that again so but you make your entire living off this fruit no i oh. make no living off this fruit oh i've never uh, i've really never been able to take a uh, hardly a dime from what I did when I sold fruit at uh, the farmers market in Dupont Circle, Washington D.C. Uh, uh, my costs were, yeah, my costs were so high that I wasn't making money at that. And then I um, started the nursery about in 2004, where the fr- was the first year I sold trees. So I've sold for five years, mm-hmm. but uh, it was always it was always small, very seasonal, sold between, you know, four and six hundred trees a year, uh, was not in the black, never was, I mean, was not in the red, <laughs> but, uh, but there wasn't, you know, the income, the, the profit that was earned went back into the business, so I never made any You money stayed in business. the burgundy. Yeah, so let's see, I'm looking up an address here for you. Um, and even if you take calls, you can give a phone number. I mean, we just want to be able to kind of give a way of uh, sure. someone able to contact you. I, that's really important to get them to uh, information about Paw Paw. Of course, they can Google on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's www.pawpaw.kysu.edu. And that'll be listed on our website heritageradionetwork.com for anyone that is interested in contacting Neil or the mm-hmm. University of um, Kentucky um, for more information. Get out there and try a papa, folks. Okay, now can can I give a couple more websites? You can sure. do whatever you want. Yes, okay. Um, like I say, I'm revamping my website to be uh, more informational, just purely informational, www.petersonpawpaws.com Peterson with an S-O-N. Got okay. it. Yeah, and then we have also uh, www.pawpawfoundation.org. Great. So then there's definitely a lot of information out there, a lot of ways to reach Neil. And um, we're actually going to be having Jim Davis on within the next few weeks to let us know how his harvest has gone and the season Um and uh, that's basically it for today. Uh, Neil, do you have any closing remarks or anything you'd like to tell our listeners about this upcoming harvest? Uh, gosh, a couple things. One, eat more pawpaws. And two, in uh, September, 17th, September 19th, there is the 11th Annual Pawpaw Festival uh, near Athens, Ohio. And really? They can be found on the web. And if you're close enough to make the trek to Athens, Ohio, Albany, Ohio is the closest town, mm-hmm. uh, you can see a lot of pawpaws there. Will you be there? Uh, I'll be in Europe this year. Oh, nice. Talking to the Swiss that right. we were uh. mentioning earlier. <laughs> well, there hopefully they'll catch on over in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Well, Neil, we can't applaud your efforts enough, your efforts to popularize this fruit, to to experiment with it. To, to educate. To, to allow it to reach its full poten- its full taste potential and... I know that the American consumer, once it, the American consumer, once it becomes more popular, will be very thankful. 
Oh, thank you so much. And your it's personal wonderful. history will forever be tied to its history in the United States. So okay. it's something to be proud of. Thanks, Lorenzo. Thanks, Neil, thank care, you Neil. very much. Enjoy we your weekend. We hope to have you on again. Okay. Go, Papa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take care. Bye now. So, Heather, that wraps up another exciting weekly installment of The Farm Report. It definitely does, and we look forward to having you back next week on the Heritage Radio Network Farm Report. Remember, if it's Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, it's the Farm Report. You're listening to the Heritage Radio Network. Today's program was brought to you by Hearst Ranch, www.hearstranch.com.